You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 338 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Gina Militia. How are you, Gina? I'm great, Val. I'm so excited about this week's episode, How to Become a Successful Elopement or Adventure Wedding Photographer with guest Joel Alston, which is a fantastic interview. He shares so much great content, so we'll bring you that in a minute, uh, Val. Yeah, but I'm going great. What have you been doing? Uh, so I've just come back. I've been at the beach. I've been house-sitting for a friend and minding pets, which was uh, a, just a, quite an adventure, really. So we had uh, uh, a bloodhound, Josephine, who thinks she's a, a little lap dog. <laughs> and then also, like, she's about over 100 kilos. Like, she's a massive dog and beautiful. And then uh, the, then there was uh, Leo the cat. And then I had Gary there. And then basically how it worked uh, was that the top dog was Leo the cat. Uh, followed by Josephine, then Gary, and then me. I was last oh, in the pecking yeah. order. So they pretty much uh, controlled me. But I had so much fun um, hanging out with them and uh, being down the beach for the weekend. And Great. Yeah, I'm back now, um, excited for a new week. What about you? What have you been up what to? What have I been up to? I don't know. I, it's just been one of those weeks where you've had 3,000 things to do, but do you think I could name any of them? It's just crazy. Right. Um, so I'm at a bit of a loss. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I've been, um, my new favorite, uh, entertainment has been Clubhouse and I've actually, uh, spoken to a lot of oh, the yeah. listeners on there that have come into rooms, which has been really cool and, uh, met a lot of interesting people and, uh, had lots of interesting conversations. It's perfect for an introvert because you can go to all <laughs> these rooms and then just leave when you've had enough. Mm, mm. Suits me just fine. Yeah. So enjoying, uh, that whole world as well. And then also, Val, I'm I'm gearing up for uh, a big uh, AMA this oh, week and with ask my gold community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, lots of great questions there and uh, they're all going great guns there. I was just uh, on Facebook before we uh, jumped on this call, just uh, answering some Photoshop questions and some lighting questions. So, yeah, I, I, I love doing the AMAs. They're, they're lots of fun. It's like Clubhouse, but it's a private room. Exactly. Val. So the Ask Me Anythings are sessions that Gina does with members of the Gold community. And if you'd like to find out a little bit more about the Gold community, have a listen to this. This podcast is brought to you by the Gold Community. One of the things I love is mentoring the incredible photographers who are in my Gold Community. I recently asked Brian Becknell on how much the Gold Community has had an impact on his photography. 
joining the community itself um, and, and having access to you and to all the members um, and the tutorials are absolutely incredible. The way that you teach, the way that you, you mentor is just absolutely empowering. Your tutorials are the, the bravery and the courage that I, I needed to begin that journey. You make it possible. Um, it's not all gear techno speak. It's um, it's down to earth. It's it's just a, a way that I can understand and I can pause the tutorial and practice. I can pause and practice and keep moving. The the support. Oh my God, the support of everybody in the group um, has been just incredible. Um, like no other community, no other photography group or anything that I've ever been a part of. I want constructive criticism is redundant in that group. It's always constructive. It's, it's always people who care about what they're saying and they care about the person they're saying it to. Oh my God, I've told so many friends about our community. It's, just, it's been life-changing for, for me and my photography journey. If you'd like to find out more about the Gold community, head to GinaMilitia.com and click on Memberships. All right, let's move on to this week's topic, how to become a successful elopement and adventure wedding photographer with our guest, Joel Alston. Now, it's a thing, right? An elopement slash adventure wedding photographer. It's, it's something, a whole thing. Yeah, I mean, um, this is fascinating. What are we going to learn in this episode, Gina? Yeah, so uh, back in the day when you heard the word elopement, it's mm. kind of like to me it was like, all right, so it's a bit of a shotgun wedding <laughs> happening here. Let's just get this happening fast and we'll just do it secretly. And, oh, yeah, we got hitched. Or mm. uh, the other one that you always heard of was where, where the couple just, uh, you know, you had a big night in Vegas mm. and you meet someone across the room and, you you you, you know, you go, oh, my God, I, I, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go get married. And you go and you get married by an Elvis impersonator, you know. <laughs> so but now. I know somebody uh, who did that. Really? Well, not that I love you across the room, but um, <laughs> did go to Vegas from Sydney to get married by an Elvis impersonator, yes. I've been to those uh, chapels. They're, they're quite fun. Uh, I, I, I like parts of Vegas, yeah. So, mm. but, but now it's a, a really big thing. So there is this whole, uh, and it's exploding in popularity, and it's this, this whole thing. And, and because of like uh, – in, in the past couple of years, particularly last year, where the pandemic like kind of wreaked havoc across the wedding industry. Yeah. So there was, uh, you know, and it was, was a big thing to have. Like I know uh, my family background uh, being Italian that mm. like if you had a wedding, you had to invite everybody oh. that uh, – your uh, parents no. ever knew including yep. no we have to invite the um uh the the guy who works at the milk bar yep. and his mum and dad because yep. they invited us to our wedding so suddenly you you know you you're ending up going to these weddings where there's 500 guests yep. or a thousand guests i and, went i've been know, to one where uh, it was a thousand it was ridiculous a thousand, and uh, I, I've heard of ones where the the, 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 the couple fly in in a chopper. <laughs> you know, it's just like it's so sort of. Um, the, the, there's this whole culture that's now come up where it's like, well, we want we don't want to do the big sort of you know wedding where it's a bit too just too many people. We want to make the day about us. You mean and, a bit uh, like how Harry and Megan did it three days before their big spectacle wedding? 
Yeah, so they had a little <laughs> intimate wedding. Yeah, they, they they got married and they did something just for them, and then and then three days later they got married in front of like a billion people. Can you imagine that? What would you be thinking as you're walking up the aisle? Don't fall, don't fall, don't fall. <laughs> and of course you're thinking, don't fall, don't fall. And what happens is, you know, you probably fall. So that, yes. that that's a lot of pressure. Mm. But no, there 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 are couples that just want to make the day about them, mm. you know, and do the things that they want to do. And also, you know, with the pandemic, the idea of the smaller wedding, because there's restrictions on how many people can attend the wedding. So people are now thinking, well, let's have a smaller wedding and then maybe we mm. can have a barbecue with our extended friends who don't come on that day mm. on a different day. So uh, people are rethinking that traditional uh, thousand plus or even a hundred plus uh, for a wedding and then you know you think about social media and that desire to share that day well you may as well have it with spectacular image so uh you know let's go to instead of spending a hundred thousand on our wedding let's spend it on ourselves go Mm. somewhere amazing Mm. and have this amazing experience and it's just about us so um i actually met joel on clubhouse my (laughs) new favorite place yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and uh and so i got chatting with him and he was telling me about these uh, amazing weddings that he that he does and so he's uh, he manages uh he managed to grow uh his uh intimate so smaller weddings and elopement a venture photography wedding for, uh, from a business from doing like two weddings i think in his first year mm. to 70 plus weddings that's a crazy year, that's... which is all the wedding photographers that are listening are going oh my god that is a massive so mm. and not only that it's not like he's just shooting in his um you know home in new south wales he's going all over the world to like mm. amazing locations, New Zealand and Iceland and mm. all these fantastic places. And, uh, you know, the locations are just so jaw-droppingly beautiful. So mm. there's all the flying and dealing with the bride and groom and all of that. So we had a really honest conversation, you know, obviously about the joys and advantages of shooting these sort of smaller, more intimate uh, elopement-style weddings. And he talks about how he grew his business from two to 70 plus a year and the the pros and cons of growing something so quickly and then also we have a really honest conversation about the personal cost to him Mm. of uh doing that 70 plus weddings in a year we talk about work-life balance mental health and photography and then we have a really uh deep conversation about what success uh means to both of us and uh and then he shares his sort of thought process about how he plans these weddings, uh, what he does with the couple, what the kind of questionnaires he sends out before and uh, scouting locations and heaps more. I think it's a really interesting genre and uh, I think uh, you guys will, well, I hope you guys enjoy this interview. Joel Alston, welcome to the show. How are you going? Awesome. Thanks so much for having us. I love saying how are you going when I've got a fellow Aussie on because you actually know what I'm talking yes. about. There's always a long pause when I ask someone from uh, anywhere else in the world. They're going, what 
is she saying? What does yeah. that mean? Oh, so, I, can, I can only imagine. You're speaking my language so far, so this is good. <laughs> so you and I co- uh, connected on my uh, new favorite obsession, which is Clubhouse. <laughs> and uh, we've had some really good chats uh, in some of the rooms. And uh, listeners will be aware I've talked about Clubhouse a lot. And uh, hopefully I'll do some uh, interviews with different photographers on that platform. But just for everyone that's listening, uh, where in the world are you? you uh so i'm based in newcastle new south wales uh, australia um but yeah i'm barely here i sort of do well i before covid i was barely here and i was doing most of my sort of work um all around australia and internationally as well fantastic and uh just for everyone listening what what sort of photography do you do what's what's your genre or are you doing a little bit of everything what's your specialty uh, so if I just put a blanket statement out there, I'd say that I'm a wedding photographer, but I don't like saying that. Um, but I mostly focus in intimate weddings and mostly elopements. Um, but I want to be classified as a marriage photographer cause I think that's more important than the event. I love that marriage photographer. And, uh, you know, um, you, you, you sort of not shy to show who you really are when you go to your website, which is barefootandbearded.com, uh, page one, uh, it, it, you know, F traditions, do it your way. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's not F, you've spelt that. It's a four-letter word, rhymes with duck. <laughs> um, so, um, and that, that already, having that as page one of your your website, you're going to weed out people that perhaps aren't your people. Is that right? Was that a deliberate, uh, you know, strategy on your part? 100%. Like yeah. if you can't handle that word, you're not going to handle me because I drop it every two seconds, which I'm going to try and hold back on this podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that, that definitely is like, I guess they say in business, what's the stickiness of your brand, right? So the, for me, it's open up the page. That's the first thing you see. Um, even if it doesn't sit well with you, you'll come across people later down the track um, where you might come across friends and they might be looking for a, a marriage photographer and they go, hey, I, it didn't suit me, but I reckon this might suit you because I remember it. it's the stickiness behind my brand is that slogan, right? So definitely draws in the people that um, clicks with their subconscious and they go, yeah, I love that. Why didn't I think about that? And they, then they don't go anywhere else then regardless of price and everything else. Cause I've already got them from that. And then the people that don't agree and they want something different, if that's a bit too explicit for them, then they'll go somewhere else. So yeah, it's the best, one of the best things I've done for my brand for sure. Yeah, Fat, you, you're attracting your people. So in the wedding genre, when, when I think about weddings, you know, I was uh, raised in an, an Italian family and uh, what I knew about weddings as a kid was like 500 of your closest friends. It'd yeah. be a really big affair. There was always dry ice on the dance floor and the MC would always <laughs> say, look at the couple that looks like they're dancing on clouds, you know, so and uh, you'd have to give the bonbonieri and uh, – it was oh just like God. this huge uh, thing. But now it seems to be there's this whole genre and it's been going on for for quite some time. But I think with what's ha- happened with the, uh, the world pandemic is people are sort of rethinking how they're getting married and, um, you know, the reason behind, well, why do we need to invite 500 of our closest friends or I think, you know, the average size would probably be, you know, 100, 200 guests. Why do we need to do that? And we can Mm. do this a little bit intimately. And so there's been this uh, new sort of tradition of uh, elopements and those smaller uh, boutique weddings. So Mm. 
how how did you get into that and how did you discover this sort of genre of weddings and do you do the big weddings with the dry ice? Um, well, I would um, if I got inquiries for them. <laughs> but even even then, like I, I, I've done big weddings and I do big weddings every now and then. But my biggest thing that I advocate with my business and all my educational stuff that I put out there is, look, at the end of the day, all I'm doing is bringing my own history to every decision, every view and every ethos that I have within this industry in particular of weddings and elopements. But, you know, as long as you're sort of doing what is a, critical and conscious representation of yourself and your partner and your relationship because in a relationship there's multiple different lives right so there's the life of partner a life of partner b and then they have a joint life together but in your individual lives you have multiple other lives like you've got a hobby life you've got a work life you've got a social life so i think when i call it the wedding spiral so when couples get engaged they sort of go down this little this spiral where they're just like they just do everything that is expected of them and what they think is possible the only the only option um and they get the venue they get the thing they get this they get that they get that and then they get i hear so many couples get to a point where they've committed to like forty thousand dollars worth of investments and they just go this is the worst like i'm so stressed out this is so stressful um like it doesn't even represent who we are. And I've had a lot of couples over COVID have these big wedding plans and then COVID's come in and thrown a spanner in the works and they've called me or emailed me and go, oh, thank God for COVID. Now we can elope because we don't want to, like now we have an excuse, which I think is just uh, like, I think it's awesome that you're looking at it that way, but it's it's a shame that this had to happen for you to have this because it's at the end of the day, it's about you. It's not about your family or friends or anything like that. It's a representation and celebration of the relationship that you do have with your partner and want to commit to in the future. So I've written this huge article on my website. I might, act, uh, might send it to you, Gina. Yeah, cool. That'd be um, great to give, give me the link. Yeah. Yeah, so it's called COVID Catalyst, where all this sort of stuff of intimate weddings and elopements, I've been preaching for like as long as I've been doing this for seven years, right? But ever since COVID came along, um, now people are suddenly getting defensive. And I've actually lost about 3,000 followers on Instagram since COVID because I'm preaching all the same stuff that I have been preaching forever, but people are getting defensive because um, they can't do their big, lavish um I'm just going to say dick measuring competition of a wedding, um, <laughs> which isn't a blanket statement amongst everyone, but I, I just get, I, there's nothing worse than going to an event like a wedding and just seeing the couple so stressed out and it not be a clear representation of who they are and their relationship together. They just do it because of expectations and pressures from society. Um, so this whole article, I, I've created a new definition for what a wedding is. And I talk about where this belief of elopements have come from for me. Um, it stems from, funnily enough, it stems from my upbringing as a child um, with my family. And I've sort of uh, made cross-pollinations of how my upbringing has shaped this uh, belief that um, these sort of um, amazing milestones in our life should be shared intimately. So, um, yeah, I'll send you this this article because it, it does uh, depict a lot of this sort of stuff within me for sure. Fantastic. I'll put that in the show notes so that everyone can find that. So, yeah, I agree 100%. Like the, uh, the, my, the best wedding I've ever attended was uh, a friend of mine who it was a stylist and what she did, I think she got together, I think 30 of her closest friends and she had it in a bar and she asked everyone uh, to bring something along, you know, and it was just mm. this uh, 
beautiful event and it was just so simple and it was about them as a couple mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh it, it, it and it was there was no nothing for show it was not like mm-hmm. you know and and uh that she did it for about i think a few thousand dollars you know, mm, and mm. so I gifted her the uh, photography because she was a good friend. Uh, another friend gifted the makeup. Someone else gifted the flowers. And, 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 you know, I'm not saying that everyone can do that. I'm saying mm. the reason it was my favorite wedding was just because it was so intimate because when you get those big numbers and it's all about the cars and the, the venue mm. and it, it just becomes a show and I think mm. the, the bride and groom are forgotten somewhere and they don't even get to enjoy the day because they're so stressed out about, oh, I've got to go and say hello to Auntie Mabel, which is Auntie Mabel. I can't remember her. I've like yeah. never met her before in my life. Mm. So it's mm. a it's a really interesting uh, uh, topic that you raise. I think that one of the most important things too is couples need to recognise that. So I speak at like a lot of wedding fairs and obviously do a lot of stuff online to try and educate couples throughout this process. But couples need to recognise that. To, you know, the the result of a wedding or an elopement or go to the registry office or do whatever, whatever the celebration is, the same result is at the end of the day, which is getting married, right? And to get married takes five minutes. If that, like you say, sentence each, sign a bit of paper, have two strangers watch it and sign a bit of paper as well. Like to get married takes five seconds. So why do we feel like we need to still create all these big things that are in there? So it's like once you recognize that it takes five minutes to get married, which is the same result of a $60,000 day versus a $500 day, then whatever you want to do with the rest of the day is completely up to you. Like why don't – like I, I want to create these these days called marriage days, which is like I sit down with a couple and I go, cool, what's your – top three hobbies you like doing? What's the top three hobbies you like doing? And what's the top three things you like to do together? Cool. Now, how about we do a weekend or a day where we incorporate all those things where you wake up in the morning, go to your favorite coffee shop, have breakfast, get married there. Why not? Takes five minutes. Just pull the baristas over. They can witness the marriage. And then go for a hike, go for a camp, go ride your motorbike, go for a bloody rock climb, go for a surf, go sunbaking, have a little afternoon nap, go to your favorite restaurant, whatever. Just do a day of all your favorite stuff and just get married at some stage. Like, why don't people do that? I don't understand it, right? But the thing is, it's our responsibility as industry professionals to educate couples and give them these options because they don't know that it's possible. Like, no wonder couples have weddings. They hear us, like, I market myself as a wedding photographer, and then you've got wedding celebrants, wedding caterers, wedding this, wedding that, wedding this. So as soon as you hear the wedding word everywhere when you get engaged, no wonder you have a wedding because that's what all you think these people do, and that's what you think is needed to be done. So that's why I say the word marriage a lot because once you shift your focus from a wedding to a marriage – there's a whole different perspective and mind shift in it that you can have to be like how you want to spend your day to get married versus how you want to have a wedding, you know? So, um, yeah, I, like I said, this, this article definitely taps into all this sort of stuff quite deep. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll email it to you after the podcast. Cool. So I, I love that you say that it's your job as an industry professional to educate your client and uh you know you you put yourself out there and you're very uh sort of you know the the images that you share and the language that you use you're going to attract your people and Mm -hmm. uh so that's already you're already um getting rid of anyone who who might be looking for that uh, a, a different look to the wedding. Mm. So uh, to get to this point where you are now, so barefoot and 
bearded and even your image, you know, I'd photograph you actually because I love that <laughs> look. I love, uh, you know, bearded, long-haired people. So, mm. <laughs> but, but that that in itself, you know, you've got a different look about you. How did you get to this point in your photography journey? Where, where did you start? Did you start doing uh, sort of landscape photography and, and then discovered weddings or did you just jump straight into weddings? Oh look, it's a it's it's a probably a pretty boring story, and I'm sure it's been regurgitated amongst wedding industry photographers as well. But started shooting landscapes um, and like enjoyed that, and then got it like into the whole surf photography thing. So I had like a water housing, and I was in shooting big waves and all that sort of stuff. And I didn't like that industry. The people were not very um, constructive, I'll say. Um, so then I got out of that, just did some lifestyle stuff, shooting my mates um, and just a bit of skating and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then just the old story of got asked to shoot a friend's wedding, went and shot the friend's wedding, it, enjoyed it, thought this was actually pretty cool. Um, nowhere near as bad as what everyone expects it to be because I think wedding photographers in terms of comparison to other photographers in any other genre get a bad rap because we think that we're just doing it for the money, right? But if you get the right clients and you do the, the cool things like I'm lucky enough to do, I lucky, I'm lucky enough to get to travel all around the world and all around Australia to some insane locations to do um, elopements and stuff. So um, like you said, I, I'm just attracting people that um, I want to work with. All I'm doing is putting myself out there and who I am. And at the end of the day, you've got to recognize that whatever you believe in and everything that you love, I can guarantee you're not the only one out there that thinks that. So put it out there, put it out there at 150 because people only read and listen to what you say at 100. So that's why a lot of my stuff comes across as quite in your face because people are always going to digest it with their own beliefs and their own history and, and interpret it in their own way. So I need to speak at 150 to get heard at 100. And I'm getting the people in that are just have to speak the same sort of language as me, wear the same sort of clothes as me, have the same sort of hobbies that I do, do the same sort of traveling. So then when we get together and we have a chat about, well, getting married takes five minutes. What do you want to do the rest of your day? We start throwing all these ideas at each other that I would be thinking of anyway. And I'm like, well, yeah, let's do that. That sounds awesome. Why wouldn't you do that? And they think the exact same thing. So yeah, it's just about recognizing who you are, putting that out there. And I had to go through a lot of, a lot of, um, crap to get there, obviously, just like m most other people. Um, but I'm very grateful for where I'm at and I wouldn't, you know, change anything about my journey. Cause if I did, I wouldn't be exactly where I am now. Yeah, um, you, you attract who you are, don't you, Joel? Yeah. So you put out, you put yourself out there authentically, and you're going to attract people that uh, are just like you. I think so. Um, all right, so you're a surf photographer. You get your first uh, wedding. You get asked as a friend. I think, I think that's a, a really common way uh, mm. to, to get in, to dip your toe into the sort of the, the wedding world. How do you then end up shooting weddings in Iceland and other exotic locations <laughs> around the world and Australia? And in fact, I think you told me uh, we were chatting. It's like, how many weddings did you shoot in one year? Last oh, year? Oh, yeah. Was uh, it last was a couple, year? A couple, couple of years, of years ago? ago. A couple of years ago, I shot, uh, it was 72 weddings. 72, that's ridiculous. Yeah. That's, but that's just weddings. Yeah. That doesn't include everything else. I think All it was 45, 45 engagement shoots, 15 elopements nine different countries, 120 different individual flights. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty hectic. So how but, do you go from surfy photographer to doing your mate's wedding to hmm. flying all over the world doing this many weddings? What, what was your process? How long did uh, it take? 
So I think the I think when you're getting into a creative industry such as photography um, and you want to make it like a living, right? There's pretty much two ways that you can approach um, that journey, and the, you can either go down the artistic route and focus more on your art, and then the business is secondary, or you can sort of make it a business and then the the art is secondary. There's people out there that can do both, obviously, but my approach definitely in the early stages was a business and not because I didn't, it wasn't that I didn't care about the art. It was just that weddings at the time when I first started, um, it was just coming into that sort of boho, cool, hippie yep. theme. Um, so it was, it was easy for me because I was like, cool, I'll just buy the recent bridal magazines and copy exactly the same poses, put this preset on it. I found photography easy back then. I was like, well, I just got to regurgitate that. That's in trend. But what I wanted to differentiate myself with was my brand. So in high school, I, um, I was pretty average student, but business studies like I just absolutely nailed and um, it just made a lot of sense to me. So I brought that same approach in and, and um, did a lot of research and I understood business culture and like, um, you know, the ego and um, attributes and identity that comes along with purchases and products and, and why we do certain things and why we want to be associated with certain cultures. So I just really worked on barefoot and bearded brand and um, just wanted to really clearly and obviously um and consciously appeal to those sort of people that are going to give me those adventurous things in the early stages. So, um, yeah, I, I really just quickly worked on my brand, um, you know, the stickiness, the logos, and literally all I did was take my, I, I did a few style shoots, took couples to insane locations on sunset, press a button done. Like it makes it pretty easy to take nice photos when you go into amazing locations, cliffside on sunset, you don't really need to be the most amazing photographer to get a good shot. So I found that kind of easy. So I just wanted to dictate my business around the destinations I went to, um, rather than, like anything else really. Cause I was like, well, if I'm going to the blue mountains on a cliffside on sunset, of course my photos are going to look dope. And I don't know enough about photography to make a bowling club look good yet. So I'm just going to try and get myself to amazing locations. So that that's an easy way to make my work look good. And then I'll use that to create a culture and a brand within barefoot and bearded that those sort of people are going to want to give me. And it's still working to this day, I guess. Like most of my locations are quite adventurous. I'm going to some um, like, insane locations cliff sides and snow and deserts and all this sort of stuff so once you're in those sort of locations it makes it pretty easy to get a good shot um so i and my early stages i went from two weddings one year uh to 25 the next to 55 the year after and then that 75 year after that so it was a pretty um i did one year of two weddings and then the next year i just i went full-time for 25 um and then yeah it's been been full-time ever since so um yeah it's been a very it escalated really quickly and it got to that point where i took on too much and had a bit of an emotional and mental breakdown and then the last couple of years have been slowly tweaking it to to work out where i want um barefoot and bearded to go yeah, so we'll touch on uh, burnout in a sec, but I just want to go back to that uh, the going from two to 75. So that took five years, right? Uh, three years. Three. That's, that's uh, excellent. Uh, excellent work. And uh, so basically what you did in the early days, so you didn't have a great folio, but you need to attract those clients. So what you mm. did was you found a good-looking bride or a groom or a, gr a bride and a groom that reflected your brand or the type mm. of people that you wanted to attract, took them to these beautiful locations, and then at your own 
uh, timing, you could say, okay, we're going to go to this location. I know where the sunset's going to be spectacular. And you did that folio shoot. So you put the work out there of the kind of, um, to show the clients, this is the, the kind of person that I want to attract. So you put out what you want to do. And mm-hmm. I guess you didn't have any average weddings on your website. You just had great work on there, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There was a stage there when uh, when I first started my branding. Well, it, and it still is now. But um, when I first started, there wasn't as the industry wasn't as loud. There wasn't as many people making uh, you know work and um, and being quite um, aggressive in their marketing and and this sort of culture of what exists now in adventurous elopements, where it was only very young back then. So I didn't have to push myself quite aggressively because it was like, well, no one else was really doing it back then. So it made it quite easy for me. But um, yeah, it was, it was, it makes it a lot easier when you're putting stuff out there. But um, I was, for a stage there, I was putting everything that I was shooting up. And that was quite fun because I was lucky because my branding was so aggressive that the, a lot of the jobs that I was getting um, still suited that vibe, even if it wasn't as extreme um it might have been a really cool venue uh in the hunter valley where there was like a pine forest on the property and like we got out in the on the really nice light or we went to the beach or something like that so if it sort of slightly crossed my my sort of ethos and the culture that i wanted to be i put it out there because you know to look busy is also really good in the in the industry i found in the early stages once you look busy it creates urgency for clients to get in touch uh, quickly and then that's uh, i was sort of pushing myself quite hard in those early stages and I was a lot younger then too um and I didn't have a kid at the time so I had all this free time and all this motivation where I just pushed myself and even when I wasn't shooting for jobs I was creating shoots you know to push that sort of culture of my brand even more aggressively so I had a lot more motivation and time back then that I do now um and with that I just went just absolutely just you know ballistic on it and it worked really well for me so I'm very grateful yeah, and there's something in that is like, uh, so, the, you know, the wedding space is so crowded and you can mm. see that there's a lot of the same, same going on. And and what, what you're saying about like you got into that elopement uh, space and adventure weddings very early. So you were kind of like you, you already set yourself apart from everyone else and it's going to be easier for people to find you because you niched right down within mm. a bigger niche, right? Mm. And so that starts out so – when you go from two to seventy-five, so is it? Uh, you find that it's it starts out with you having to uh, more aggressively market yourself, but then that you get to a point where it's just word of mouth. Did that happen for you? And then it just explodes. Yeah. So yeah, like I, I obviously did all my stuff in the early stages, but I I found what helped really well was sending a lot of my shoots to like publishers, so like um, magazines that would promote my work and you know at the time um there was a particular magazine and a particular publisher and they're still around now and do an amazing job that um would promote a lot of my work and to be associated with that brand was like a big you know stamp of approval to be like you know this person's got 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 it going on so um so i was lucky enough to get in in touch with those guys and they helped me out heaps throughout my early stages and that was pretty much like the biggest thing for me from there. And then, you know, Instagram followers went up, which gives you more social proof. Not that it actually helps anything in your business. It's more an ego boosting thing, but, um, it was good to, it makes you feel nice. And it was definitely, you know, we live in a society now where people are like, Oh, cool. What do you do? Oh, sweet. Do you, I like, what's the name of your business? Instead of getting out Google, they get out Instagram. So if the first thing they open up, you know, is my account and they see the X amount of followers, then that already, 
it touches on their subconscious to be like, oh, they must be good without actually bringing their own views and values and their beliefs into looking at my work. They just look at this number. It's this social proof thing and it just taps into their subconscious to convince them that I'm good, even if my photos are horrible. So, um, yeah, that, that's also Instagram is obviously really great for marketing and promoting um, that a lot of my clients come through that at the moment um, and publishers and yeah, word of mouth, like because I've been doing this for seven years now and I've shot. I don't know. I think uh, last time I counted, it was north of 300 weddings. So, um, or weddings and elopements. So, you know, once you do a, once you've been around for a while, you know, guests have seen you shoot at weddings or you shoot my friend's wedding, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, a lot of it's word of mouth now for sure, which is great. It's the best type of advertising. Yeah, and definitely it's sort of around that four or five-year mark. That's a sweet spot. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of photographers give up at the one to two-year mark, but you've got to yep. you've got to be in it for the long game. And the other mm. thing that you've done is like you 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 pitch where your your clients are. So you, you know the what's the demo of most of your uh, couples? So a lot of my couples would be in their mid to late 20s, maybe yep. early 30s. Um, usually one of the one of the couples is in the design or creative world. Yep. So there might be a graphic design, interior design. And then the other one is usually in like a trade or medical. So I get a lot of nurses, a lot of um, carpenters, plumbers, all that sort of stuff. Um, but they're quite young and they like they work hard and then they travel hard really. So, um, I got a lot of very adventurous couples, um, that like a lot of my inquiry forms will come through and I say, tell me about you and your Epic day. And I usually get these big elaborate stories of, we did a trip around Europe for three months. He proposed here. It was amazing. We love hiking. We love adventuring. We love camping. We love fall driving with our dogs and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, generally between the mid to late twenties, maybe early thirties, um, adventurous. So it's, it's great. There you go. And and where are you going to find those couples? Where are they hanging out? They're spending the majority of their time on Instagram. Now, if mm. you were pitching like a, another, if you were trying to niche down and you were starting out in the wedding industry and you're thinking, you know what, I'm going to just uh, look for older brides. So it might be their second or their third trip up the altar, you know, yep. and uh, they, they, they might be, you know, 50 plus. Where am I going to find them? Well, perhaps they're not going to be on Instagram, but they will be on Facebook. So you might just focus your attention to Facebook marketing rather than doing uh, Instagram. So yep. it, it's it, it, it's really cool that you uh, that you know so much about your demo and right down to where they work and what they do and you know the the kind of tattoos or the hairstyles that they might have <laughs> and it comes down you know you can niche down that much all right so when you go and i can you know i know when you dropped that you did what was it in one year 70 76 oh like 75 weddings. 75 weddings yeah. in a year like mm. you know everyone's sort of doing math in their head about oh, wow like that's 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 a, a great that's a that's a phenomenal year all right you know and mm -hmm. so from the outside this sounds fantastic. However, mm. Mm. there's a price you pay mm -hmm. and it's, it, it, is it sustainable to do 70 weddings a year and what was the cost to you personally? Um, oh, like not for me. Definitely it wasn't sustainable for me. Um, I think he, in the industry of photography, because it is, you know, it's very saturated. There's a lot of people out there and most of the time when you get into photography, it's through Instagram, right? So um, we all want to be seen as successful in our industry and in our craft. And the, I think 
in the, particularly in the wedding photography industry, um, the three sort of levels of success are dictated by social media. Uh, and those three levels are um, how many you book each year, how much money you make, and then the places you go to. So the travel, like the traveling aspect. So when I first started, I'd see all these uh, photographers that I admired and I was like, wow, they're doing so many. They're earning so much and they're traveling to so many places. I want to be seen as successful. So I'm going to strive myself to that. And I got there. Um, but for me, that wasn't, that did, the loss for me was I was married at the time. Um, in that same year, my son was born. Um, and I missed a lot of, I missed his first steps. I missed his first words. I missed a lot of free, a lot of time with him. Um, my marriage ended up not surviving. Um, and that played a factor. Obviously there was other things involved. It's two way street, but that was definitely one of my biggest inputs was my work was taking over. Um, and yeah, it definitely wasn't sustainable for me. Yeah, look, great, great bill at the end of the year, but the tax bill was quite big too, and yeah. I wasn't really prepared for that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, good to get a good accountant, kids. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that it definitely didn't align with me because my my core values with who I am and what I want to achieve in my life isn't has got nothing to do with wealth and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it was it was one of those years. I think. You know, I think a lot of people, you need that catalytic moment where you go, oh, wow, I've hit rock bottom, you know, before you realize that you're in it to come out of it. So that for me, like on the outside, everyone was looking at me and going, wow, like this is amazing. You must be so grateful. And and I just felt like I had to because I was like, well, so many people would kill to be in this situation. So, yeah, like this is going really well doing this, doing that, doing this. And I'd be put these rose colored glasses on and I wouldn't listen to my subconscious of like, hey, man, you're struggling. Are you OK? And I'd be like, no, 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 everything's good. You've got a lot of work. You're traveling. You're living the dream. This is exactly what you wanted, you know. So I just wouldn't listen to myself. Um, and then, yeah, got to a point where. I just absolutely just collapsed and my whole life got turned upside down. And yeah, it was just like, it was just an absolute nightmare. So, um, but I, I'm grateful for that experience. I needed to go there to realize what I actually did want, but yeah, it definitely wasn't worth, definitely wasn't worth it for me at all. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to get into the rock bottom, but before I get to the rock bottom, I want to get to, uh, what it felt like to get to that summit. So like all of us as creatives dream a lot, but wow, imagine what it'd be like to be doing this. And then you get to that point and you go, wow, imagine what it'd be like to be doing that, you know, and you're constantly yeah. cry, climbing and striving and climbing and striving. And you've always got this, everything will be great when I get to this point when I get yeah. this particular gig or I get to photograph this per person or I make X amount of dollars in a mm. year. So mm. you achieved all of that very quickly. Mm. When you got to the top of that mountain, mm. did you have that <laughs> moment when you're like, oh, no. why do I still feel the same? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like, I actually felt worse. I actually felt worse because yeah. the, the goals that I created were just, there were there were goals that I knew that society would accept and see as success, and it was something measurable and metric and and easy for me to look at and go, yeah. When that happens, I know it because I'll see it, and I, everyone else will see it. So these goals that I created for me was to get featured in this one magazine. Mm. It was to do an elopement in Nepal, and it was to earn over X amount of dollars a year. Mm. And in that year, I did all of that, 
And I was like, oh, God, why am I still – why do I still feel so empty? Why am I so tired? Why am I not feeling fulfilled, you know? Um, But I just created these goals because I was like, well, if I get featured in this magazine, everyone can see it. I can tell people. Therefore, I'm associated with this brand and I'm successful. If I go to Nepal and do this Himalayan elopement, cool. It means that I've gone to my biggest and dream destination to shoot and everyone can see it. And then I'm successful. If I earn this amount of dollars, I can get this and buy this and do that and do this and travel all these places and have all these things. People will see that and they'll be seen as successful. You know, I just cared so much about how being seen as successful. And I think a lot of people want to be seen as successful. And the goals I created were just these horrible metric measurable things that society see as successful and not actually important to me. So yeah, when I hit that pinnacle or that summit of these you know, these goals, I was like, I did not feel feel fulfilled at all. So I had to reanalyze. Yeah. So when you get to that moment and you go, well, it's not a bit, did you have that, uh, that realization then, oh my God, it's not about the money. It's not about the travel and it's not about the recognition. There's something else. Or did that take you a little while to realize? And is that sort of, found when you're in that rock bottom and how did you get to rock bottom so describe the decline uh so the decline the decline was burnout stress anxiety uh divorce um move out of a house live in a van for a couple of weeks until i could find somewhere to live um yeah, it was. And like, you know, with that massive amount of work as well, like I put my social life to the side. So I had, I felt like I had no friends. Um, I didn't have a social group. The only family I have locally is just my dad. And the only family I have in general is just my dad. So, um, I felt very lonely. Um, and it was just this massive reflection of like, well, what was all this for? You know, like I've just lost all of that. And I've, and I've got some of that, but it it means nothing to me. And for me to work out what was more important, it definitely took me, you know, we talked about this on, on clubhouse just before I was like, this is the biggest advice I can give someone is just look after yourself and keep that balanced lifestyle and recognize what's important and live to your values, not to what everyone else expects. But unfortunately for some of us, we need to get to that point of rock bottom to realize that we're in that space. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that I've done that because if I didn't, then I probably wouldn't have learned all the things that I know now and the direction I have with my business is has never been so clear and never been so conscious and so right for me. So I'm very grateful for that. But it took me a while to work that out because I was like, I was questioning a lot of stuff. I was like, people would kill to be in this situation. Why aren't you happy? And I'd be angry at myself and I'd curse myself like, don't be stupid. You know, you got everything that you wanted. Why are you unhappy? You shouldn't be, you know? And then it did take me a while to recognize and a lot of um, meetings with my psychologist um, to recognize what was important to me and then go, okay, cool. Like it's not these things, what is important and how can I shift everything within my business and within myself to go to what is important and not worry about what everyone else is thinking about me, you know? Um, So yeah, it it took me a little bit and it took me a lot of trauma and a lot of hard times to get there. But like I said, I'm very grateful for it. And unfortunately some of us, like at the stage I was young and I was driven. So I just kept going and kept going and kept going and trying to chase those summits until I absolutely collapsed. And, um, yeah, so some of us need those big catalytic moments of like, Hey man, this is wrong. Stop. You're struggling. Um, now let's reanalyze what you want to do. It, sadly, you have to be completely broken open to grow as a person. So if mm. you are the kind of person that's only ever experienced 
success in your life, mm-hmm. you, you'll stay at a certain point and you won't actually grow. So mm-hmm. for you to do that analyzing and to find out, well, okay, if it's not anything outside of me that's going to fill me up, what is it? So yeah. um, finding that way back to a uh, sort of more healthier approach to your work, uh, what did you learn from that experience and what is it now? How do you fill yourself up now, Joel, and what's important to you? Oh, this is the best thing that I've ever done with my life ever. Like the stage that I've had over the last three months or so has been the best mentally and psychologically that I've ever been in my whole life. And and it's just insane. But the biggest thing that I've, I learned through that was working out what my core values are. And I blabber on about this all the time. So the sort of quote is living a life dictated by your values, not your circumstances. And um, I think COVID is a great example of this. Um, it's a circumstance that's coming and it's forced us to all react, you know, like survival and react to what's going on around us and not really think about what direction we're going in. Um, but my top three core values in order, my first one is growth. I need to feel like I'm growing and pursuing something and bettering myself with every decision I make. And if a choice that I make in my life isn't giving me that, then I don't do it. The next one for me is freedom. I need to feel free to pursue a project or uh, take on a, a romanticized job or not take on a job if I don't want to, you know, and like if I'm not feeling it in the office, I can go to the beach and go for a surf, you know, and clear my head a little bit. So the second one is freedom. Third one for me is family time. I need to be able to spend time with my son and have it quality time, you know, like I can be with him, but being with him is different. So, and that's in order. So, and a lot of parents out there, I get afraid of judgment when I say this because, well, why is your son third? Shouldn't he be first? I'm like, well, no, because if I don't have growth and freedom in my life, I'm not the best version of me that I can be, which means I'm not going to be a good dad, which means I shouldn't be around my son. So I need to have growth and freedom in my life to be the best version of myself so I can be a good dad and actually spend that quality time with Taj. So if I put him first, it's actually like it's really bad on him because I'm not getting those other things in my life. So every decision I make in my life. So this podcast, for example, for me, I'm going, okay, cool. This is a chance to grow because you're going to ask me questions and put me on the spot and it's a challenge for me. And I'm going to learn stuff about myself as I articulate myself to you. And then also hopefully gives me a bit, bit more freedom because I do a lot of educational stuff. So I know this sort of stuff will be helpful with my education stuff down the track. So every decision I make in my life has to give me either growth, freedom, or help me with my family time. So I do that with my business. I do that with my art. I do that with my social times. I do that with my hobbies, everything. I wake up in the morning. Is a coffee going to help me with this? You know, if it's not, I'm not going to do it. So yeah, I've just very live very consciously dictated by my values and make sure every decision I make is, is heading towards those core values. That's fantastic, Joel. That's uh, great advice too. And, and uh, I love that you've got to this point. So just I just want to touch on what you said about uh, parenting and the fact that you put the child third. There's this mm-hmm. great analogy that they um, they say that like if you're in a, ever in a, a plane, whenever we get back to that, mm-hmm. right, <laughs> and yeah. uh, something happens and, uh, you know, the plane's going down, you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself first before mm. you place the oxygen mask on your child. Mm. So, Love that. 
fix yourself first and take care of yourself first so that you have all the energy and enthusiasm to give back to your family. And I think yeah. that's important. So I, I think there's nothing wrong with that. And it's like your your children will learn by seeing the best thing that you can give your children is to, you can actually hear my dog snoring in the background if you can. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't just hooked up with some random who's asleep yeah. while I'm <laughs> podcasting. Um, oh so, um, you know, the best thing I, I think that you can give your children is to let them see you happy and fulfilled mm. and chasing your dreams but mm. also to let them see you um, have a go and make mistakes and mm. uh, and feel uh, authentically so um, you know I think that's great and I think it's fantastic that you've uh, managed to uh, come to this point and uh, so ha- ha- life feels a lot better now that you're not striving for you know the the 50 million what you know because when you got to 70 in your head are you going wow if i can get 100 i'm gonna be Mm. so much happier was was that the was that the loop that was going on in your head yeah the loop was like oh maybe if i hire another photographer they can do that and then i can get another 70 and then i can make all this money so yeah it was like yeah there was that what's the next biggest and best thing but yeah it just didn't align with my my core values at all yeah. And the other thing that you said is uh, freedom. So, okay, uh, not to be flippant about the need for a, a decent income. So once you get to a point where you are able to pay the rent, put food on mm. the table and have a little bit left over at the end of the week to do something special for yourself, mm. any extra money that you bring in is not going to uh, make you uh, any happier. So if, you've no. ma- if you're making, you know, a couple of hundred thousand a year and then suddenly that goes to uh, a million, you're not going to be 80% happier. You know, mm. so once you mm. get to that level of you're able to pay the bills and take care of things, mm. uh, any extra money, it, it, it just doesn't help. That that hole, you can't fill with more. So it has to come from the inside. So for me, um, I describe success is having the freedom to mm. do the things that I love. That for mm. me is a successful life and it's mm. got it's not about money up until a certain point. Obviously, I want to be able to look after my family and mm. have a roof over my head, but after that it's about having the freedom to choose to do the things that you want to do. And also, I think as a photographer, like so my burnout was 10 years ago and uh, mm. it was very similar to you, but it wasn't weddings, it was uh, in the uh, shooting in the entertainment industry. It was like I was doing all these great jobs but I had no time to really enjoy it I was just going from job to job to job to job and I was exhausted and there was no time like I I remember thinking I just want to go and surf around the internet for five minutes and look at (laughs) or I just want to spend another 10 minutes actually enjoying editing this photo so it actually it sucked but from mm. the outside it looks amazing so I guess the lesson for the listeners is you know have a think about what you're seeing and what you're aiming and and when you're looking at other people's profiles, you have to understand the sacrifices that go in to being Mm. at that level and uh, what they're giving up to be there because it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, missing those first steps, missing every single uh, family event that ever goes on or you're always the one that Mm. arrives last and you're so flustered that you can't even enjoy the event or never being present for your your children is also another thing. So I'm really happy, Joel, 
that you've come out the other end here and uh, you're now uh, building again and uh, a lot happier and uh, and 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 satisfied with uh, how the career is going and you'll get hmm. more out of it I guess too and probably be more um, sensitive in the type of photography that you do yes definitely thank you that's really lovely of you to say but I think the one thing that's really important to recognize is that you know you mentioned before about once you pay all the bills and you do all those things and then you get that extra money to go from a hundred one hundred and fifty thousand to a million or whatever you might not be any happier but that depends on the core value of the person if their yep. if their core value is wealth and like um, prestige and all this sort of stuff, then yeah, they might be happier because sure. that fills their core belief. But for us and what we believe in, especially in the creative industry, because it's an emotional industry and it's a passionate industry, um, you know, we, we don't necessarily, we value stability to a degree, obviously, um, but it's more about the growth and the passion and the emotion that we put into our craft. So we, our sort of goals are tend to be a little, a lot more emotional than um, those of, um, you know, I guess, more sterile businesses, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, true. So Mm. um, that's all great. To finish this off here, Joel, uh, Mm. what I want to talk about is your thought process when you're working with an elopement couple. So you talked about sending out that questionnaire and really getting to know them. So do you want to take us just from uh, start to finish through a day in a life of the elopement um, shoot, uh, but also let's just back up a little bit. So from the first point of connection, what are you doing? How are you connecting with the clients? And then how are you finding your locations and deciding on what you're going to do to fill that day with that couple? Hmm. Okay. So, um, for me, yeah, a lot of my elopement inquiries do come through in the form of a beautiful novel of how they met and how they proposed and what they're passionate about and what their hobbies are. And most likely they'll suggest a location to me that I've already shot that they connect with subconsciously, whether it be the blue mountains or Barrington tops or New Zealand or Vegas or wherever. Um, and they'll be like, cool, we want that. And then they'll say, we don't really have a date in mind um somewhere around this month this year would be great so then i'll just respond an email i'll make it quite personal about like that sounds awesome here's some other things i've shot we can do this we can do that we can do this and then i'll wait for their response back from that and then as soon as i get response back from that i'm calling them um and organize a facetime with them to run through all the possibilities of what is what they can do and where they can go i'll get an idea of i'll ask them what sort of genre of environment they want to be in whether it be mountains they're like we like the beach or we like the bush or we like the mountains or we like the desert or wherever and i'm lucky enough to do a lot of traveling um for my job but also personally as well so i've been to some amazing locations um so i've got a a beautiful quiver of locations that i haven't shot at that i really want to shoot at um and you know vice versa that i'd be happy to go back at so i throw them like way too many suggestions and they probably get more stressed out than <laughs> um, than they would have when they first got in touch with me. But I think it's good because it might be a bit overwhelming, but then once they think about it and they step back, they realize the freedom of what they can do. So, um, and then I'll let them stew on that for a little bit and then I'll get a response back with some other things. And then, yeah, I ended up just going like, cool. Let, the first thing we need to do is work out a date in a rough location or a national park at least. Um, and then as we lead up to it, we look up sunset times. I'll jump on Google images. Um, it's a great tool because it just should suggest all these other lo- locations near it as well. And I will just go down a rabbit hole of accumulating like 10 to 15 locations nearby that are 
awesome to shoot in. I'll look at the sunset timeline. I'll make the timeline for them. I'll help them find really cool accommodation to stay in and get ready at. Um, and then it could just be like a whole day. Like I did one recently on New Year's Eve actually, which was great because I think New Year's Eve's super overrated anyway. And I'd rather shoot with an awesome couple than I agree. Go, to, go to a lame party and see fireworks and want to be in bed earlier than I should be. <laughs> um, so I ended up getting ready with a couple at 10 o'clock. They just got ready at home and I literally just took them for the whole day um, to four different locations we spent, you know, it was hour between locations. So it was a lot of driving, but also like we were just chatting and listening to music. They were drinking beers in the back. Um, and then we just get off to two abandoned locations, uh, an abandoned warehouse and abandoned old gun barrack area that no one really shoots in, which is kind of secret, which I'm not going to say. Yeah. And then, um, and then we go to like a really cool coastal location for a picnic and then we go to these wicked sand dunes near where I live, which is called Stockton Sand Dunes for sunset. And then we drove all the way back. So we left at 10 and we got back to theirs at nine o'clock. And then they had a, a night ceremony in their front yard under festoons with like 10, 15 family members. They had a big barbecue going on. So then I just stayed for a few beers and barbecue. And then that was my New Year's Eve. So we just spent all day like, you know, if I charged for a wedding package for nine hours or more, it would work out heaps more. But I, I charge less for elopements because I love the freedom. I love the flexibility. I think it's more authentic. I think it's what we should be doing. So I want to encourage people to do them more. Um, so, yeah, we started at night, 10 o'clock in the morning and finished at probably 11 o'clock at night. So, I just help them create whatever they want to do and just get more of an idea or ask them questions about what they want to see, where they want to go. Like most of the time I'm just telling them what I want to do because um, <laughs> most of the couples hit me up and they say, well, we just love your stuff, whatever you want to do. I'm like, well, if you give me that flexibility, you will regret it because we will be hiking extreme amounts. We'll be jumping fences. I'll probably ask you to rock climb at some stage or abseil. So I, I, I just find that with this sort of stuff, I'd rather go so extreme and because you never know what's possible. I think a lot of people dial back and get a little bit nervous to suggest things or ask other photographers to do things because we go, oh, maybe that's not possible, but I'd rather die knowing than die wondering. So I'm like, well, let's go all out. And we can sort of just cut back the things that are a bit too hectic or not logistically viable. And then that's the most extreme and most epic thing that we can do. So I had a couple that I was supposed to go to in New Zealand last year and um, they were having like a little 30 person barbecue at their parents' property on the North Island um, near Mount Rapehu, which is like where they filmed a lot of the Lord of the Rings. It's amazing. Right. Yeah. Um, and then the next day they were like, um, cool. We just want to spend a day ice climbing, ice hiking, oh. and then, um, go down these crevasses and do all this, like a, a, or picnic on top of the mountain in a blizzard. I'm like, well, this sounds sick. Let's do it. So, um, so I helped them create all that sort of stuff. So yeah, the more extreme, the better. I love crazy weather. I love insane locations where it's quite, we probably shouldn't be there because it's quite death-defying. <laughs> um, but yeah, anything like in super insane. I had I suffered first-degree frostbite on an elopement in um, uh, the Cradle Mountain National Park in Tassie once. Um, I've been stuck in blizzards. I've yeah, it's been awesome. But the crazier the better. The better the story, and I love the challenge, and that gives me an opportunity to grow when I put myself in those sort of locations. So rain, hail, or shine, let's do it. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. Long, long that, no, there. that's so cool, Joel. And so I just want to go back to like because 
You've sold the idea of an elopement so well. It just sounds so exciting. And like, so I want to go back to the level of freedom you have with the bride and groom. So they're contacting you. They're like, okay, we want to get married. But because it's just the two of them, right, are you flexible with dates? Can you say, all right, well, I would do it at this on this date because that's when I'm available yeah. and let's go yep. to this location. But if we go to this location, it's at this time of the year, let's get there at this time because I know this is where the light will be in a certain spot. So have you got that much freedom? Because most wedding photographers yeah. have got that one hour in between the reception, you know, the wedding and the reception to run around crazily trying to get some mm. shots. You've got this, the luxury of time and then the luxury of being able to pre-plan the whole event. The the way I see it is that I'm getting paid handsomely for styled shoots. It's so <laughs> cool. It's, 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 I can just, like what I usually do if I'm traveling internationally anyway, I'll be like, cool, this is where I'm going to these countries at these yeah. times. If you want to get there around then, I can do it there for travel expenses half price because I split it with the other couple. Yeah, right. Or it's like, okay, cool. Like, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? I always I always suggest midweek for two reasons. The first reason is for elopements anyway because it's just them two. So they're going to take time off anyway, so they don't have to worry about work and stuff. So they'll yeah. definitely be free midweek. It also means that I can potentially book a weekend. Um, so – like keep the weekend free for a wedding if I need to or another job if I need to. But also, because a lot of them are done in national parks, um, I'll say midweek is easier because you're going to avoid the weekend warriors of campers and hikers. Yeah. Let's avoid school holidays. Um, and there's a chance that we'll have the whole area to ourselves, which makes it so much easier. And then you can sort of like, because it's just the two of them and a celebrant and me and maybe one other witness, we can sort of, in inverted commas, get a permit <laughs> um, for where we need to get married um, and just sort of like sneak around that sort of stuff. Cause we can get in and get out. You don't need to set up like a big, uh, big reception or a big yeah. ceremony at all. We can just be like, so a lot of the couples I have, it'll be like, cool, we're going here. We'll rock up on the day. We'll go for a walk and I'll just wait until I find a spot. Like we have no spot plan. I'll just be going through a walk through a forest and I go that spot over there with that light right now is where we're going to do it. So walk over there and get married. Let's do it. So I can just literally control everything. So, and couples love that because they don't want to have to worry about this stuff. They just want good photos or they just want a sick day. And at the end of the day, we're the people that do this on a weekly basis. We know a photographer, it sounds biased, but they're the only ones that know how wedding and elopement runs really well throughout the whole day because we're there from generally from the beginning to almost the end, you know, we can't tell other vendors and other services how to do their job. That's up to them. But we can give advice of how we can make a day run really well because we see the whole thing from beginning to end. And it also impacts on our craft as photographers anyway. So, and couples come to us, they love what you do, will love what I do in this circumstance anyway. And I can tell them exactly how I want it. And they're going to trust me because I say, well, if you want the photos that you see on my website, that's all the best stuff, you know, and I can tell you how to get that. But, but it's up to you whether you want it, you know, and that's fine. It's a two-way street. I'm happy to come your way a little bit with things, um, but you have to come my way with lighting and location, and I just want you guys to be happy and comfortable. But, yeah, I've, I'm have i very lucky. Um, actually, no, I'm not lucky. I've worked hard to get here, yeah, you know. Yeah, right, um, good. So I'm, I'm lucky to a degree that uh, I, the market is out there that love this sort of stuff, but I know I've worked hard to get there, and I'm very, very grateful um, for the couples I do have and the flexibility I do have um, because it just suits my style and I just love 
what I do so much and I've been doing it for seven years and I hope hoping I can do it for another seven more and just get more and more niches I go along and I've got all these ideas for barefoot and bearded in terms of marriage packages down the track um so it's something for me to stray and grow towards which I'm really excited for but yeah I'm very grateful for all the freedom that I do get from my couples it's just it's a dream it's just amazing Fantastic. I know. I can feel the passion in your voice, Joel. There's no, there's no denying. No, and it's, I love that. I love that. And I'm sure the couples love that. And I think for the listeners too, uh, because I've even made this mistake when I think about elopement weddings, because all I've ever seen when I see an elopement wedding are, are shots like yours, where it's on, you know, the summit of a mountain or, you know, some ridiculous uh, location that's, uh, you know, in the middle of nowhere. But there's also, you can niche down into a, a, a different genre. Cause, so I, I got asked last year to do uh, an elopement in Paris right oh, cool. and yep. i would have shot it i know exactly how i would have shot it you know and it w- it would have been more in my um uh, the way that I shoot my commercial portraits. So, you know, I would have hired uh, a, a particular, I would have hired a Vespa and had them both uh, whizzing around <laughs> Paris on that. I would have had them Sick. in the cafes. And, you know, there's so much that you can do with this genre. So it's not just limited to, um, you know, the great outdoors. If that's not mm. your thing, you can do it exactly. in a more sort of, uh, you know, f- retro fashion style or mm. you can you can take people into the city or you can take them, uh, you know, just exclusively do beaches. And I think what's important is the more you niche down and you're going to attract, you know, the type of work that you shoot and you put it out there, it's going to resonate with the, the different clients. So, um, do you yeah. mind if I just give you a, a very, uh, a, a good example of this, if that's yeah. okay, that's yeah, something sure. that I've implemented. Um, so this hasn't dropped yet. And I feel like this is like, this is kind of like an exclusive drop right now, which is Ooh, kind of exciting. Right, yeah. Um, um, so me and a good friend of mine, he's a celebrant and his uh, business name is Dirty Deeds and he's like rock and roll and all that sort of stuff, which is dope. So we both ride Harleys and choppers together. I'm a big bike fanatic. It's just yeah. crazy. We love that old school, you know, American um, chopper style bikers. It's just badass and dope. Yeah. Anyway, we've, we're dropping a new business soon um hopefully within the next month or so um called hitched in a ditch where you get us i'll be the photographer and then jake will be the celebrant we rock up in our bikes and we meet you at a pub or where you are we have a chauffeur drive you around either in an old retro like cadillac or something cool like that or if you've got a bike come cruising with us we go find an abandoned area we run a muck we get you married at some stage throughout the day. We're pretty much just doing like a bike road trip and you yeah. get married at some stage. And then we go to an old dodgy pub where there's live music, get pissed, yeah. <laughs> um, have a party, just party at the pub and then just end up staying at the pub that night and then cruise back the next day. So that's sort of what we're creating, what I'm dropping very soon. So that's very niche because that's like motorbike chopper culture. And it's not even like motorbike, like sports bike culture. This is very, very niche. But I know the people out there that are in that, they'll see it and there's no other option. It's like the blue ocean and red ocean strategy. I'm sure you're familiar with that, Gina, but um, that's like a good example of like a blue ocean strategy approach to business, I guess. So the more niche, the better. That's fantastic. And I've just got to clarify for the non-Australian listeners. uh, So Aussie slang word of the week brought to you by Joel is get pissed. Now, (laughs) you're going to 
misinterpreted getting pissed as Joel oh. is angry. No, he's not angry at his couple or the celebrant. Getting pissed in Australia is getting drunk. That's our yeah. Aussie slang word. Use it in a sentence this week with your friends. <laughs> That's awesome. I love how you have to do that. <laughs> we do. Yeah. I, I need subtitles for this podcast. Yeah. So. Well, it's funny because I'm the most ocker Aussie bloke you'll ever come across. So yeah, if you really I'll, want to I'll learn some Aussie slang, follow, listen to what I've got to say. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that idea. And again, you're niching all the way down. And so you're going to attract that uh, biker market who love that or just yeah. someone, you know. And so you put those images out. They're going to be so different to, uh, anyone mm. else and it's just like back in the day you could go to Vegas uh, you know yeah. and the sort of the cliche of eloping was Elvis and an Elvis impersonator would marry you and then you drove mm. off in the uh, the convertible Cadillac so yes. um, it's certainly grown and grown and grown and I think uh, given with you know what's happened over the last year with the whole pandemic situation I think the whole elopement idea is only going to get bigger and uh, I see you doing some amazing things and I uh, can't wait. I'm so excited to follow your work and see what you do next, Joel. And I'm so Thank grateful you. for you coming on and to being so uh, honest and authentic with your story. It's amazing. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And hopefully we have so many more authentic uh, conversations in inverted commas. It's a, you know, it's a word that gets thrown around a lot, but I hope we have a lot more of these sort of conversations, Gina. Thank you so much for having us. Definitely. So barefoot and Bearded is your uh, brand name. I will put all the links in the show notes to your Facebook, to your YouTube. Uh, I think you've got some online courses in there as well. I'll put all those links in the show notes so people can uh, find them and definitely uh, check out your Insta and website and all of that. Wishing you nothing but continued success, Joel, and uh, thanks again for your time today. Thanks, Gina. All right. Wow. That was awesome. So many value bombs and so interesting. And, you know, I think Joel was really um, frank about his experiences as well, which is yes. always yeah. useful to hear. Yeah. yeah. And it's good to have a, an authentic conversation about this sort of stuff. And, uh, yeah, I thank Joel for coming on and, uh, you know, wish him nothing but success in the future. I think he's going so places So his website sure. is Barefoot and Bearded. Com and you can check him out on Instagram at Barefoot and Bearded. So make sure you have a look at his um, awesome shots. Fantastic. All right. So what's happening in the coming week for you, Gina? Uh, so I've got a big shoot uh, this week. So we're just like we're finally cast. I think we've agreed on all the models. So uh, uh, ready to go. And now I've just got to just pray that mother nature plays nice Mm. on friday i do i absolutely adore this time of the year because it's like i don't know in melbourne there's like it it, it, i'm not sure if it's because the the weather's getting a bit colder so we've got Mm. warm days and then cool nights but it seems to create this sort of mist in the atmosphere or something so you get really beautiful light and you get i think it's something to do and i know anyone who knows anything about science is just like (laughs) bashing their head against the wall going just 
don't talk about this stuff you don't know about but it's like you know it's kind of like no I just like the quality of light and the color of light at this time of the year I don't understand the science behind it but it's something to do with the sun bell right Uh, so I really do enjoy and it's just so much easier to shoot when it's not you know four billion degrees or really humid or it's not freezing it's just like it's Goldilocks temperature (laughs) just right you know so um looking forward to that so that, that'll take up uh, most of the week what about you Val what do you got going on 50, yeah, billion, different 50 things? billion different things oh well you may remember that I produced a shoot last week and well I'm how yet to see go? the shots right I mean I saw the shots but how did it so feel on the day felt, did you feel that it was it going well good what was interesting was of course you know in the moment um we literally had minutes to get the shot because it's a very high profile person along with a couple of other people and there's limited time yeah. and you know all that kind of stuff and the light was dropping and we were on we were at the beach but it was you know six o'clock at night kind of thing I mean not at night it was still yeah. some daylight but needed to use um needed to use a light that was fine but yeah. um the because they they were um uh, business people they came in suits suits do not work with the beach right and the thing yeah, is right. when you take the jackets off they're all wearing the same white shirt so it doesn't it, so it's no. it's that was the challenging part of it to make it still look natural and um and yet not jarring. You didn't do any of that jacket over no, the shoulder pose. No, 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 no. We Good. did the signature uh, play with your cufflink, signature play with yeah. the imaginary ring. They, they were really yeah. good. On your um, finger. And, uh, but, of course, the other challenge, which you don't really think about, if you're near the beach, crashing waves, very hard to hear my directions, right? So you have to yes. combat that as well as, you know, dealing with the fact that it is somebody, a high-profile person with limited time. Um, so, but I think it went well in the end and I'm hanging to see the shots, but I haven't seen them yet, so I can't tell you. So just quick pro tip on that for um, anyone uh, with a higher pitched voice, so mostly female, but also some males have a higher pitched voice. When you try and raise your voice to be heard in that sort of situation, or when you're working with a larger group, uh, there's a tendency of the for the voice to sound quite mm. shrill. All right, and so what I recommend is rather than like you know ra- raising your voice mm. and speaking like that, which is c- can be a bit grating on everyone and doesn't really command the attention, practice lowering your voice yes, instead, definitely. so that you can command the room and you can it, it'll carry a lot better. Um, yes, so that's a, a, a good tip there. Well, I look forward to. Um, uh, hearing all about the when you, I you know when shots, you see the yeah. shots, Val. Okay. Yes, yeah. All right. So anyway, we are at the end of this week's episode. Where do we find you online, Gina? So it's ginamilitia.com. That's uh, G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A. I'm on all social media, including my new oh, best God. friend Clubhouse. <laughs> 
come and say hello uh, if you ever happen to be in a room in, with me come up and put your hand up and tell me that you're a listener of the podcast or you're one of my uh, gold members because uh, you know I'd love to talk mm. to you guys and uh, if you want to take your photography to the next level and you'd like more personal mentoring then do check out the gold community I'd love to take your work to the next level just go to genomlish.com and click on memberships I got yep. it right well Val. <laughs> all right what about uh, you you'll find me at valerie koo that's k-h-o-o on twitter and instagram and over at valeriekoo.com thanks for listening and we look forward to chatting to you again next time thanks guys thanks for listening to so you want to be a photographer for more information free resources and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit GinaMalaysia.com.